Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. We are uh, in a series called Mega Transitions, Book of 1 Samuel, and uh, I kind of like, what I like to do is like just preach through different parts of the Bible, and the reason I like to do that is because I think, first of all, it helps you if you're like not a person that's following Christ yet, and you're trying to figure out this Bible and what this is all about. It gives you a chance to kind of get some Bible stories under your belt and do, explanation, or do some exploration on your own. Um, and also, I like it that it brings us to points in the Bible where we deal with themes we maybe otherwise would avoid. So that's the good thing about going chapter by chapter. You come into these sections where, hey, this is something I wouldn't probably choose to talk on that, but it's probably something that's obviously in the text we talk about. So anyhow, that's why we do that this way. Uh, here we are. We're at First uh, Samuel chapter 7 this morning, and I'm going to read um, the first, uh, I'm going to read chapter 17. It's not that long, about 16 verses. And uh, so you can follow on the screen or follow in your Bible. Uh, Acts, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 16. Uh, so, the man, so the men of Kirath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained in Kirath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and their asterisks and they serve the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as a leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered. When Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage in Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were rooted before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading the Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns of Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as leader of all the, day, all the days of his life from year to year. 
He went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always, but he always went back to Ramah, where his town was, and there he was also held a court for Israel, and he built an altar to the Lord. Now, this is a really uh, <clears throat> great uh, chapter in, uh, in 1 Samuel. The reason it's, it's so great is because it represents a big change. You know, like right now, we're going through a uh, seasonal change. It's been warm, now it's getting cold. If you look at chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, it represents a major change. Uh, it's completely different than everything that's happened before it. What's different about 1 Samuel chapter 7 is in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Israel is in tune with God now. Israel is seeking God. Israel has confessed her sins, putting away her idols. And she has said to Samuel, please pray for us. So the spiritual attitude of Israel has completely changed. They've done a U-turn. Every time up to this point in 1 uh, Samuel, we've seen nothing but Israel's disobedience, We've seen Israel's uh, hardness of heart. We've seen Israel's apostasy against the Lord. But now we see Israel seeking the face of God, and there's a major transition in Israel's life. Israel has been uh, on the wrong course for a long time, and now everything is changing. Now she's getting things right, and that's a good thing. I remember hearing the story, perhaps you've heard it about uh, the most embarrassing moment in college football happened in 1929 at the Rose Bowl when this guy named Roy Regals, who was playing for the uh, University of California, I think we have a picture of it, uh, he was playing for the University of California, it was the Rose Bowl game, he was an All-American player, he played uh, uh, defensive, like middle linebacker, and they were playing against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and uh, he picked up a fumble picked up a fumble, the Yellow Jackets had the, Georgia Tech had the, had the ball and they fumbled the ball. And Roy Regals picked up the ball and when he picked up the ball, um, somehow he got turned around and he ran 69 yards in the wrong direction. 69 yards in the wrong direction. It was so bad he got down to the three yard line uh, and his own player is trying to stop him. They're yelling at him and his own player has to tackle him and he lands on the one yard line. So anyhow, he said he wasn't going to go back out, and his coach said to him these words. His coach said, the game is only half over. I love that. The game is only half over. So when you think about what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 7, you get this picture of this, this Israel has been going in the wrong direction for years, for decades Year after year, they've been going in the wrong direction. And finally, in chapter 7, they are seeking God. They're loving God. They're confessing their sins. They put away their idols. And they have completely changed in their direction of their life. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that this text and so much of the Bible teaches us that regardless of how long you have been going the wrong way, you can go the right way. God can change the direction of your life. I believe in the transformation power of the Spirit of God. I believe that God can change people and make people different. He can make people different. I, th I think transformation can happen in all areas of our life. That can happen in your marriage. 
It can happen in your marriage. I have a therapist friend, a good friend of mine that's a therapist, and he has uh, sitting the little table beside the chair he sits in when he does his therapy. He has a picture of a couple that's uh, dressed up in their arm in arm. And if you ask him, why do you have that picture there? He will say to you, because that is the worst couple I ever counseled and their marriage made it. It's the worst couple I ever counseled. And they had multiple affairs, they had all these problems, but they got their heart right with the Lord and the Lord restored their marriage. So he has that picture there showing that God can transform things that have been going in the wrong direction for a long time. God can turn things around and God can transform people's lives. Karen and I, when we first got married, we got married very young. We were uh, 19 and 20. Um, I was 19, Karen was 20. And I remember when we got uh, married, it was, we just had a horrible, horrible marriage. It was really bad. It, you know, I say to people, it wasn't the worst year of our marriage. It was the worst year of our life that first year. It was awful. And we weren't getting along and we were in trouble and we saw a counselor and I didn't know if we were gonna make it. And I remember uh, we decided to move to Florida. Uh, we left our families. Uh, I was sort of the favorite in my family. Karen was the favorite in her family. We were both prima donnas and we were both selfish and we got married and um, I thought she was supposed to make me happy. She was expecting the same thing from me and so we didn't have a good marriage. And so. We went to Florida and I went to college and we got away from everything. We just sort of hunkered down and the Lord started working our marriage. And uh, after being married 42 years now, I can't imagine one day without Karen. So God can turn around your marriage. God can turn around all kinds of things. God can turn around your physical health. Uh, I have in my, uh, my walk-in closet, I have a pair of big gym shorts that hang over the door. They're size 42. And every day when I walk in the walk-in closet, I have them up there and I look at them and it reminds me of what I used to be like physically, how I got to a point where my body was completely out of control. I wasn't eating well, I wasn't exercising. And some of you were here the Sunday when I was preaching uh, and my, my physically I was just not in good shape and I had Bell's palsy hit me while I was preaching. And um, so I decided I had to do something and I turned things around, joined Weight Watchers, started working out. And uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, something that everybody desires to have a physique like mine, but I'm much better than I used to be. And, uh, so, uh, hey, God can do anything. God can change our lives. God can turn things around for us. I think about this guy I met, uh, I met years and years ago, and I just recently I was speaking down to Oak Ridge Baptist for an event, and I was down there, and I, was, uh, I met a, a guy that I hadn't seen in a while, a guy named Brian Lloyd. Brian uh, is on staff there, and Brian uh, and I used to work together, wonderful man. And uh, here's a picture of Brian, Brian Lloyd. Brian is a great guy, but Brian's story is this. Brian, uh, his mom and dad divorced when Brian was five years old. And his uh, dad moved to Baltimore, and Brian was basically raised by his mother. He would see his father uh, every other weekend, and uh, he loved his dad, but his dad didn't have a major role in his life. Uh, his mother was, was pretty well off, and she never remarried. Uh, they lived sort of a middle-class life, and they had, a, had, had everything good, and, and, and Brian was taken care of. But Brian, because of the lack of relationship with his dad, he would say, 
that in his late teens, 17, 18, 19, he got, uh, he got really easily influenced by other things. So what happened to Brian was that Brian got uh, into selling drugs when he was about 18 or 19 years old. And he literally would uh, drive to New York City and he would pick up a load of drugs. He'd bring them back to Salisbury. He would go back and forth New York City to Salisbury. By 19, uh, he had all these people working for him. Uh, he had a nice car. He had this underground business that he was just thriving and he was just really making all this money and that was Brian's life. Brian wasn't using the drugs at that point. Brian was just delivering the drugs. And so what happened to Brian is he met to his wife Heather. Here's a picture of the, his family now. This on this end is his wife Heather and uh, Chloe and Mallory are his daughters. And uh, Brian met Heather, I think he was in his early 20s or whatever. They fell headlong in love and they got married and uh, built a house. And uh, Heather knew all about his business, what he was doing. And so what happened with Brian was that even though he had the house, had all the money, had all these people working for him and he's doing this underground drug thing, uh, what happened to Brian was there was this aching emptiness in his heart. He said, it didn't matter what I had, I was always empty. And so he started, in his early 20s, starting to use drugs himself. He started using drugs. And so Brian is using drugs, and uh, life gets out of control. And his wife, Heather, says to him at some point, uh, Heather says, Brian, uh, it's us or the drugs. And she gave him the ultimatum. And when she gave him the ultimatum, you know, Brian decided he didn't want to lose his family. So he went uh, to Owen Mills, Maryland to go to a treatment center. And when he got to a treatment center, you know, he was there a week. He said, I was only there a week when all of a sudden uh, they were bringing drugs in from the outside into the treatment center. And he said uh, he was approached about having drugs after he was there a week. There were some drugs coming in. Uh, that evening and he was approached about having drugs and he said my body craved the drugs I wanted the drugs But inside I wanted to be different and he said he went to his room and he got down on his knees His dad had taken him to church someone he visited his dad And so he got down on his knees and he asked the Lord to help him to have the wherewithal not to use the drugs When the drugs came into the center that night and he said what happened that night when the guys brought the drugs into the center that night they were apprehended and caught, and they found the drugs, and they kicked him out of the program. And so Brian said that that, to him, was not a coincidence. But to him, that was God showing him that the Lord was taking care of him. So Brian gave his heart to the Lord, received the Lord. And while he's doing that in treatment center, Heather's back here in Salisbury, you know, with the two little kids. They were little then. And she, uh, not knowing what Brian's doing, she gives her heart to the Lord while he's gone. And they come back and they have a Christian family. And Brian and him, uh, Brian and Heather, they start going to church. They're very much involved in a church. And they get involved. He gets involved in the 12-step programs in our community. And Brian is doing so good. And his, he begins to get in a regular business, a good business. And he's doing very well. And at one point, he has multiple businesses. Brian used to be on our board here, and Brian was a very successful businessman in Salisbury. And uh, Brian, what happened was, uh, he said at one point, he said uh, that he had all these businesses, and he had 100 employees working for him, and he had, um, uh, him and his uh, partner had $38 million worth of assets and business. He was doing very well. And he said, what happened to him? He was serving the Lord. He was given, he was being blessed, and he was off the drugs. 
He said, what happened to me after a while is with all that success, all that success, I started thinking that that success I have is because I'm really a smart businessman and I'm really a great leader. And he said, I drifted away from the Lord. I drifted away from church. I drifted away from all those things, and Heather and I quit going to church, and we're just kind of doing our things. We've got all these houses. We've got all these cars. And Brian said in 2005, when the housing market crashed, he said, I was not emotionally or spiritually prepared for that crisis. And what happened to Brian was he went back and he started using drugs again. And uh, as uh, he'd been you know, off drugs for 10 years, 12 years, 13 years at that point, and he's going back to East Baltimore every, every week, East Baltimore every week, and buying $2,000 worth of heroin to get himself through coping with the pain. And so Heather said to him for the second time, Heather said, it's us or the drugs. And Brian went back to rehab, and Brian uh, repented that's what his words, he repented of his sins. I, he said, I repented of my arrogance. I repented of my pride. I repented of not uh, thinking I didn't need the Lord. And he said, I came back out of rehab and was free of drugs and decided to merge his business with another business, business take care of his employees. Long story short, Brian uh, went into ministry training and was uh, served as a ch uh, in church in Berlin, Sunrise Church, and then he also went, uh, planted a, a church in Salisbury, and now he's on staff at Oak Ridge. And Brian said the Lord completely changed his life. And eight years, that was eight years ago, uh, and Brian serving the Lord. And I saw Brian uh, last Thursday and just hugged him and talked to him. Hey, listen, God can change people's lives. Can you say a big amen? God can change people's lives. So the story we read today is about Israel going the wrong direction, the wrong direction, the wrong direction, disobedient, pride, arrogant, and the Lord turns them around and now they're going in the right direction and they're seeking the Lord and they're following the Lord and they're walking with the Lord and they're in tune with the Lord and they're not apostate anymore. They're not rebellious anymore. Their hearts aren't hard anymore, but they're seeking the Lord with all their heart. And they said to Samuel, Samuel, pray for us. We're going to go in battle. They confessed their sins. Lord, we've sinned against you. And they get, got rid of their idols and they completely repented. And the, the story of Israel going in the wrong direction is corrected in chapter 7 where they go in the right direction, where they go in the right direction. So what are the keys? What are the keys to uh, turning your life around? What are the keys to turning your life around? Uh, maybe you're here this morning. You need to turn your life around. Or maybe you've got somebody in your family that needs to turn their life, their life around. What are the keys? Here's the first key. The first key is pay attention to wake-up calls. Pay attention to wake-up calls. Many times when our life is turned around, it's because of a wake-up call. Because of a wake-up call. Uh, when the alarm goes off for me, uh, I don't know how you are in the morning. How many love the sound of the alarm when it goes off in the morning? Isn't that a wonderful sound? You're in a dead sleep. Man, that thing goes off. You're like, oh, man, I can't wait to get up. Uh, Mondays, I get up at 530. When that alarm goes off, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. And sometimes, because I don't hear well uh, and I'm in a deep sleep, I, I don't wake up when the alarm goes off. So uh, I, I have, I have a, a, my, my watch vibrates. 
My phone next to me makes this annoying noise and uh, has a flashing light, but sometimes that doesn't wake me up. So what really wakes me up is Karen's elbow in my rib. I get that elbow. And sometimes, you know, God sends us a wake-up call. And we've got to respond to the wake-up call. Wake-up calls are God's mercy and God's grace to us. Wake-up calls are God's mercy and God's grace. In this story, if you look at the story of 1 Samuel, chapter 4 was their wake-up call. And this is what we see in chapter 7 is a result of what happened in chapter 4. Chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, what happened was they go into battle against the Philistines. And when they go into battle against the Philistines, um, the Bible says that they lost 4,000 men at Aethek, a battle at Aethek. They lost 4,000 men. So they said, hey, let's bring the ark back. Let's bring the ark back. And they were going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the Indiana Jones story with the Ten Commandments, the Ark in it. They, they thought they would bring the Ark back. And they were using the Ark like a rabbit foot. They weren't in right relationship with the Lord. They were just using the Ark as a gimmick. They had no authentic relationship with God, but they were going to use the Ark. And so they go into battle with the Ark, and they're defeated the second day, and the Ark is captured, and, whole, and Hophni and Phinehas die. But here, listen to this. Here's a little detail we may miss. The next day, the battle, the first day of the battle, they lost 4,000 and they got the ark. The day they got the ark and they went into the battle, uh, how many people did they lose the second day? 30,000 people. 30,000 people. 30,000 people in one battle. Think about the magnitude of that battle. How many people did we lose in the Vietnam War? We lost 57,000 people in seven years. They lose 30,000 in one day. 30,000 people in one day. Uh, Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, how many people we lose in Gettysburg? 51,000. 51,000 people died in one day. So the magnitude of this battle was enormous. They lost so many people. And it was a wake-up call. And sometimes God sends us a wake-up call and it's the wake-up call that starts our spiritual recovery. It's the wake-up call when something crashes down on us that wakes us up and we realize we've got to get ourselves back together spiritually. I know what happened to me. I mean, um, I, I have a confession to make. I used to have this bad habit of texting a little bit when I drive. Uh, and that's a, that's a bad, bad habit. I would just, you know, I get bored driving and sometimes I just text a little bit, you know, and catch up with email and so boring driving sometimes. And so I was driving, uh, about six 30 in the morning down to Rehoboth one morning and I, and I was going through long neck and just kind of going along. And, and so I, uh, I just, you know, I just got caught up on the little text there and, uh, you know, just kind of creeping along and lo and behold, uh, they stopped and I ran into a car in front of me and ran into it just wasn't terrible But I ran into the car in front of me and Terribly embarrassed. It was my fault because I was texting and so I, I got out of the car and the lady got out and we Talking there and cars all around us and she said, oh, I recognize you and she said uh, Great great. I'm glad glad that you know who I am I said yeah, I've been thinking about visiting your church, you know I said, well, wonderful, wonderful. I'm so glad that, you know, we're out here trying to make an impact on the community. But anyhow, uh, <clears throat> but I tell you what, that was a wake-up call for me. And I haven't 
tech sense. I mean, when I tech, uh, do anything on the road or change music, I pull off the side of the road. That was a wake-up call for me. That's a little wake-up call. That's a wake-up call. Sometimes the wake-up call is your, your spouse says to you, you're drinking too much. You're drinking way too much, and your friends are telling you you're drinking too much. Had a lady come into me, uh, talk to me one time. Her husband had been in and said, my wife, she's, she's just coping with her stress inappropriately. She comes home and she drinks a bottle of wine every night uh, while she's making dinner, and she's just loose as a goose before 8 o'clock. It's a habit. She's, you know, and, and, and there was a wake-up call. She was out of control. And uh, I tell you, big wake-up call was... Uh, 9-11. You remember 9-11? You remember where you were when 9-11 happened? Just raise your hand if you remember where 9 you were when 9 We all remember where we were. I can tell you what I remember. I remember the Sunday after 9-11. The Sunday after 9-11. And our church was bigger than Easter Sunday. It was a wake-up call. Everybody came back to church. Unfortunately, I think America kind of rolled over and took... took Went back to sleep. Pay attention to wake-up calls because wake-up calls are God's mercy to get us back on track. And most of the time, people, when they have a wake-up call, they'll, they'll respond to that. And, and Israel did when they realized they were humbled because success, when you're successful, when you're successful, everything's going good. Listen to this. Comfort breeds complacency. Say it with me. Comfort breeds complacency. Say it a little bit louder. Comfort breeds complacency. When you get comfortable and everything is good and everything is going great, that's the most dangerous time spiritually. When the wheels are coming off, that's not very dangerous because you know you need the Lord then. It's when things are going so good. And that's what happened to Brian Lloyd in our story. Brian Lloyd. Things are going so good. He had all kinds of money. And he thought, hey, look what I'm doing. I can do it. And his comfort led him to complacency. It says in the book of Deuteronomy, I'm not going to read the scriptures there, but Deuteronomy said, uh, the writer Moses, we suppose, wrote Deuteronomy. Moses warned the Israelites, when you go into the land and you start getting houses, and you start getting uh, prosperity, be careful that you don't forget the Lord. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord. So if you're doing good now, and everything's good, I'm like so about that. I want us to be blessed, and I want us to all do good. But watch out for complacency when you're comfortable. And it was the shock of losing the battle. It was the shock of losing the battle, the 30,000 people that brought misery into Israel's life. And they began to move in a new direction where they began to seek the Lord. And God in his mercy allowed a wake-up call to come in their direction. Now, I used to, my mom and dad, we used to have this, uh, we used to have a cedar chest. Anybody have a cedar chest where you put your clothes, like you put your winter clothes in the cedar chest and your summer clothes, whatever season is. Mom had this, this big cedar chest, and we would, you know, when it got to be summertime, we'd take all of our winter clothes and we'd put it in the cedar chest because we didn't need them anymore. 
And when it gets comfortable and warm spiritually, we have a tendency to put God away. We have a tendency to put God away. So we need to remember, walk humbly before the Lord, and we need to walk in circumspectness before the Lord. We need to say, Lord, watch me that when I'm comfortable, I don't become complacent. And Israel received a wake-up call, and that's what turned them around. Sometimes we pray for people. We pray for people that are away from the Lord. We pray for people that are away from the Lord. And sometimes God used a wake-up call to turn them around. How many came back to the Lord because of a wake-up call? Something happened in your life, a wake-up call. So that's, that's one of the things there. So, so say it with me. Complacency comes out of comfort. You know, I'm a product, uh, I'm a product of the, the Jesus movement. Back in the late 60s and the 70s, I had long hair and, uh, you know, wore a big cross and uh, wore bell-bottom jeans. Can I get a witness right there? <laughs> How many are you feeling bell-bottom jeans coming back? Man, you didn't have to have skinny legs in those days. Bell-bottoms covered a multitude of sins. I mean... But, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, young people, came to the Lord in the late 60s and late 70s. Many of the churches, the modern churches, were birthed in the late 60s and the late 70s. Churches were being born and all these things were happening. Why? Why was, why was that happening then? I'll tell you why it was happening. Every night on uh, WBOC, WBOC News, CBS News, ABC News, Vietnam War is featured. We see the battlefields. We see the bodies coming back. We see uh, the uncertainty of the future. We see Lyndon Johnson wringing his hands about what to do about the war. We didn't know what we were going to do. And parallel to that, in America was a revival where people are, are hungry for God. The charismatic revival fell in that period of time. And because there was lack of comfort, there was no spiritual complacency. And spiritual uh, complacency always comes out of comfort. So what I'm asking is, I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying to the Lord, hey, Lord, turn it on me. Just let me have a crisis. Just let me have it, Lord. I'm just saying, Lord, things are going so good for me. I mean, things are going good for me. I mean, I'm just doing good. I'm loving life. I'm, I'm just loving life. I got money in my pocket. I got a great backhand. Everything is working for me. But I'm not going to let my comfort lead to complacency. Because complacency comes out of comfort. Out of comfort. So... That's the first thing. Say it with me. Turnarounds start when we pay attention to wake-up calls. So pay attention to those wake-up calls. If all your friends tell you you got a problem, then you've probably got a problem. And if, if, if life is just sort of showing you you've got some issues, you need to... Pay attention. Second thing we need to do real quickly, and I only have a minute, 34 seconds left, but so we got two more points. So anyhow, the second thing is they put away their idols. They put away their idols. 
here's what here's what Samuel said to them. Samuel said, they said, you know, it says uh, Israel was lamenting or turning back to the Lord. The word turning back there, most translations translate it, they were lamenting before the Lord. They were feeling sorry. They were feeling sorry for what they'd done. They were sorry about the battle. They were sorry about things. And, and here's what Samuel said. Samuel says, don't just feel sorry. Samuel said, put away your idols. Don't just feel sorry, but put away your idols. Make sure that you add action to what you feel pain about. And here's not, God never has the goal, never ever has the goal for us to walk around feeling bad and feeling shameful. That is not God's goal. God doesn't want us just to feel shame and guilt. God wants our conviction and our shame and guilt to lead us to repentance where we change our life and we go in a different direction. You know, Jesus preached. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. John the Baptist said, uh, repent, uh, for the kingdom of God is here. First Peter says, God is not slack concerning his promises, lest any man should perish, but all should come to repentance. Repentance is a change of your mind, a change of your attitude, and a forsaking of those things which have been destructive to your life. A forsaking of those things which have been destructive to your life. And when it says, uh, Rid yourself of the idols in this text. Rid yourself of the idols. The word means to depart from, leave your idols, let it go. And so we, we, in our turning about before the Lord, we have to come to the point where we say, Lord, we're going we're gonna to put away our idols. What, what is an idol? An idol is simply what you turn to when you're under stress. In this uh, world that we're reading about here, Asterisk and Baal, Baal they were uh, fertility gods. Uh, Baal, if, you found, if they found a figurine of Baal, he was a, he was a god that had a, a bolt of lightning in his hands. And what that meant was he was the god who provided storm and rain so the crops would grow. So we found, ar uh, archaeologists have dug out dug up, you know, figurines of Baal, and he has a, a bolt of lightning. And it's interesting, in this story, when the Israelites go into the battle against the Philistines, and the Baal, Baal is the Philistine god, it thunders over them to help the Israelites. It's a reminder that God is the god of thunder. So an idol is what you turn to in times of stress. So uh, like the lady I told you about that was drinking the bottle of wine every night. She was stressed, and her idol, her coping idol, was the wine. Some people, when they're stressed, they turn to porn. Some people turn to food. Some people, you know, they have retail therapy where they go shopping and they spend, uh, buy a bunch of stuff. So the Lord said in this text, put away your idols. Put away your idols. I am to be the one who sustains you in your stress. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. In other words, when life puts stress on you, don't go to your idol. 
Go to the one who is the Lord of all. And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So, I know yesterday, I, was, I have a lot to do this next, I gotta preach tonight somewhere and I got quite a bit to do. So, I was feeling a little stressed yesterday. Anybody, anybody here ever feel a little stressed? Just, just raise your hand, if I'm in the right group, I just feel a little stressed. So, my big thing is, when I'm under stress is I like to eat moon pies. I like to eat moon pies. Here's a picture of moon pies. I love these things. Do you love these things? I mean, I'm telling you, this is the best calories you'll ever eat right here, you know. They, buy, they sell them at, uh, they sell them at uh, Cracker Barrel and I buy them by the case. I love these things. So I was thinking about eating a couple moon pies, you know. And if I ate a couple moon pies, kept doing that, I'd be wearing those shorts in the, in the, in the uh, in the, in the uh, closet. So instead of eating a moon pie, I just went out and I just took a walk, walked for an hour and just talked to the Lord. And I came back energized. Because when you lean in the Lord in times of stress, the Bible says he's a very present help in time of trouble. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Don't be anxious it says in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, make your requests known to the Lord. Make it, make it known to the Lord. Say this with me. The Lord is my stress reducer. One more time. The Lord is my stress reducer. So, you know, my idols were moon pie. You know, what's your idol? What's our idols? What do we deal with? One of my favorite stories was uh, I was sitting in Sunday school class, and uh, when I was a kid, I was probably ninth grade, 14 years old, and my Sunday school teacher, Buzzy Friedel. He's a meat cutter, meat cutter, meat cutter for acne. And uh, I loved him. He loved Jesus. He didn't have all his fingers, but he was a really neat guy. <laughs> he... Uh, he said he was working one day, and he went into the locker room, and there was a, there was a pornographic magazine laying on, the, uh, laying on the table there. Pornographic magazine. 14 years old, I heard that in the store. That perked me up, you know, because you're adolescent. You know, all that's going on in your life at that point. So Buzzy went back to work, and he said all he could think about was that pornographic magazine. All he could think about. So he put down his knife. He went into that, went into that uh, workroom, picked up that pornographic magazine, walked it out behind the store, and tossed it in the dumpster. Came back in, went back to work. Now you're 14 years old. That's a helpful Sunday school lesson right there. That helped me. Put away your idols. Put away what you go to for comfort. Put away those things that you find security in. Brian Lloyd said he found security in his money. He found security in that money that was going to do it for a while. You know what Proverbs says about money? I'm all about money. I hope we all make a bunch of money. But here's what Proverbs says. Be careful about putting your eyes on money because it'll make wings and fly away. In 2005, all of Brian's money flew away. 
He said it got so bad, we lost all our houses, lost all of our cars, and he had been presiding over millions of dollars of money, and he said, our parents had to buy groceries for us. Hey, listen, that was a good wake-up call for him. He came back to the Lord. Last thing is, last thing about turning around, first thing about turning around is pay attention to wake-up calls. Say it with me. Pay attention to wake-up calls. Number two, put away your idols. Say it with me. Put away your idols. Number three, have positive people in your life. Have positive people in your life. You look at uh, the story of uh, chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, one of the things that you'll discover in 1 Samuel chapter 7 is this, is that Samuel was the ever-present influencer in that chapter. All of his life, he influenced Israel in a positive direction. Now, I think that if Samuel had not been in the story, Israel's story could have been different. But there was this positive influence in Israel's life, and it says that Samuel went from circuit to circuit. He was the positive influence in their life, and we all have to have somebody that is positive in our life. If you're going to turn around, you've got to have a Samuel in your life. You've got to have somebody that is just crazy about Jesus, loves the Word, and is walking with the Lord, because if you have a positive Samuel figure in your life, it'll help you turn your life around, and Samuel was that. I remember when I used to run 5Ks, I would, it was very competitive, and I always tried to get my, my uh, time better, and I would train, and I would, you know, check the time every week when I was training before a race. But whenever I was at a race, I always ran much faster than I did when I wasn't at a race. It was the presence of people around me, presence of people around me running that helped me run faster. So it's like, uh, you know, that little lady with a walker came by. Man, I'm like going to run faster, you know. It's, it's, the, it's the being surrounded by other people that make me run, made me run faster. And you cannot run the Christian race without positive people in your life that help you run your very best. And you have to have a Samuel, and you have to be a Samuel. You have to be a Samuel. I want to be a Samuel. I want to be a positive influence. I want to be a spiritual influence on my grandkids. I want to, I want to influence them. I want to influence my wife, Karen, to want to love Jesus and serve Jesus more. I want to be, influence my sons and my daughter-in-laws. I want to be a positive influence so that people around me want to be more like Jesus. I want to be not a thermometer who registers the spiritual environment. But I want to be a thermostat that changes the spiritual environment. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. How many would say with your hands raised, your hand raised, God has turned my life around. He's turned my life around. Karen was at the uh, Dollar Tree store yesterday. And she was buying uh, stuff for, uh, for the uh, Operation Christmas Child thing we're doing. And she was walking down the aisle. And there was this guy talking to this lady about the power of prayer and how much God answers prayer. And Karen just happened to walk by one having this, this conversation about prayer. And she kind of chimed in, yes, the Lord does answer prayer. I mean, he, she chimed right in there. And uh, this guy started telling his story right in Dollar Tree. He said, I used to be on drugs. He said, I used to smoke dope. He said, I'd, I'd smoke the reefer. I'd smoke the reefer. And then I'd get out there and I could disco with the best of them. I used to smoke the reefer. He said, now I don't smoke the reefer anymore. He said, instead of smoking 
marijuana. I sit and read the Bible. I sit and read the Bible. He's like having a service there. I mean, like he was about ready to give an altar call on all three. That was amazing. And he said this. He said, I could have never quit drugs unless Jesus had helped me. I could have never have quit using drugs if Jesus hadn't helped me. In the story, the Bible says that Samuel set up, set up a big stone, called it the Ebenezer Stone. And Ebenezer means stone of help. And they said, the Lord has helped us thus far. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? To your Ebenezer stone, would you say, Lord has helped me. The Lord has helped me thus far. The Lord has helped me. You can't change on your own. You can't turn your life around on your own. You can't overcome some of those deep ingrained habits on your own. But with the Lord's strength, you can change. You can turn your life around. You can have a chapter 7 in 1 Samuel. You can be completely after the Lord and seeking the Lord and be walking with Him like you're called to walk with Him. Now, Lord, I pray Your power and Your grace on us as we go into this new week. You are our help, the help for our marriage, the help to overcome our habits, the help to overcome those things that have tripped us up. You are our help. You are able to sustain us and keep us. And, Lord God, we are going to be on our game this week because of your help we thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your power in jesus name and with your heads are bowed and eyes closed just put your hands down a moment if you're here this morning you'd like to receive jesus and jesus is not a part of your life and you need to turn your life around i'm going to pray for you right now if you'd like me to just lift up your hand real high and say pastor danny i want to become a father of jesus thank you i see that hand who else i think lifted that thank you leave it up a moment that's so good thank you for your transparency you know oh thank you so much just say this with me just say it out loud with me right now say jesus come into my heart say it with me right now jesus come into my heart i accept you as my lord You love me, and you are forgiving me of everything, of every sin, of every debt I owe has been paid by Jesus. And say this out loud. Let's, church, say this out loud with these people receiving Jesus right now. Say it loud. Say it with me. Jesus, you are our Lord. You are the Son of God, crucified, dead, and buried. But say it with me. But raised to life. And everybody say this out loud. Jesus, you're my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the people that are receiving the Lord, just give them a hand right now. Thank you, Lord.